We want to welcome all those by way of television this morning to all of the United Methodist Church. This is whiz-bang days weekend. And in the past, you know, there was ice cream and there were pies and hot dogs and everything just flying in our congregation as we kind of ministered to the whiz-bang day attendance. So again, I had mentioned that Nona and Mike just really wanted to Thank you for your presence out at the committal service for Joyce. A fine weather cooperated, everything was fine, and we had some extra time out there, so we visited uh, Edway to where it's Marine. Okay, let you know that there's a little presentation that's circulating this morning, and I think that we're probably ready to honor Marie Waite, the birthday of Marie Waite. We want to inform many of you that we're at a newer hour, we're at an earlier hour, it's a cooler hour. We want to make room for our other congregation that's going to be meeting here. It's always kind of nice to have the, the new bulletin here. Thank you, faithful wife. Amen. Thank you, Chris. God of grace and God of glory, and I'm going to be talking to Paul. We sent Paul a bulletin. He's a faithful giver from the, the West Coast, and we honor that family all Peterson family. Would you like to give the um, congregation, briefly, congregation on order of service? You up to that, Mike? Uh, every minute, every second is so important. I think Mike is going to be uh, shortening his message, and I will. We need to be uh, shortly after nine today. Marie, you, you missed your presentation this morning, but I'm just going to brief you again. If you see the plaque that's going around, took a picture of Ed's lot there and, and framed it. Chris and I framed it and we give that as a, as a tribute to your faithful Marie. And then also there is a bag that was presented to you. So just take your time.
have lived. Maybe with a little practice, you kind of look forward. That was kind of a modern rendition of Lord, I want to be a Christian. That was dedicated to the honor and glory of God and the anniversary of Richard and Jill Reinhardt. Father, this morning we do pray for Clarice, our regular organist who was unable to be here and made arrangements for Margie, and Margie was sick and ill, and we thank you for the, the turnabout just in the last few minutes of, of replacements. We come silently praying for those who are coming back to Robbinsdale on Whizbang Days. We pray for their safety. We pray for their enjoyment. We pray for the uh, parade this afternoon and the fireworks this evening that you would bless those and grant safety. We thank you for this past week and the many activities. We thank you for the wonderful middle service out at Fort Snelling and how the uh, those who were present uh, spoke so highly of Joyce. And we, we know that Joyce's presence is here in, in, a, in a way that we can only phantom by those ministering angels and spirits that are, are present. And she just loved worship and she just loved all of it, United Methodist Church and in the family. This was really her biological and her spiritual family. We all look forward to the opportunities of worship. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would be with us today as we congregate, as we prepare for the gathering, as the gathering comes in here shortly. And we, we thank you for our, our Bible study. We thank you for the recovering Ira as he's went from a blood pressure of 60 over 40 and a sugar factor of over 500. We just thank you, Father, that you brought us back, and we thank you for the Bible study this morning at 8.30, and we thank you for J-Hop that meets here during the week, and we, we thank you, for, Father, for the privilege to welcome in the, the gathering, and we pray that you'd be with Tabby as she comes and prepares for worship immediately following our service, and as we We've honored Marie Waite earlier this morning, and we thank you, Father, that we are called to be faithful warriors who pray, and no one knows the day or the hour of your return. And we pray that we may always be found faithful in the things that we do. We ask a special blessing on your scripture reading, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, that those joining us by way of television and radio want to examine the scripture along with us and and that's uh, one of the number one requests is that we readily acknowledge the scripture because we're a scriptural-based worship service. We truly believe in scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, Wesleyan trilateral triangle. We, we pray, Father, for the many promises. We pray for those who are listed in our bulletin to the honor and glory of God, the birthdays of Paul. Peterson, who so faithfully supports this church. We thank you for the anniversary of Richard and Jill Reinhardt and others who are witnesses to the fact of prayer and worship in their lives. We thank you for bringing Iris Sims back. We thank you for Mike and Tina with us today. And we pray, Father, for your healing hand upon those by way of television and radio. We thank you for Chris Larson and bringing him back in his lovely daughter, Lord, and we, we pray that as we prepare for our worship service about witness of the Spirit, that the Spirit would witness to our spirit that we are children of God, that we are saved by the grace and the presence of God, that blood and that body is broken for us. As you 
have taught us to pray, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, our scripture reading today is taken from Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 28, and that's, that's lectionary, and many other churches are utilizing that scripture today too. And we just pray that God would speak to our hearts as we read and hear his word. Reading from God's holy word, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. And this lawyer said, teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Lectionary like was Luke 10, 25 to 37. That's where I did. So I'm going to go a little further in the Bible, but can't really get too much Bible, can we? No. Jesus was traveling down the road to Damascus. It was joined by a lawyer. The, the lawyer asked Jesus what he must do to inter inherit eternal life. An interesting aspect of the question is that he asked it to test Jesus. Most likely was testing himself, though, to defend his own limited view of the Torah, with who he knew was a master of it. The motivation for testing Jesus wasn't necessarily bad or evil. The ancient Greek word for test means a sincere question coming from somebody that's sincerely seeking. Jesus returned the question with one of his own, directing him straight to the word. What is written in the law? How do you read? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirmed that this was the correct reading, and, if, and also said, well, if you do that, you will live. It's unusual that Jesus actually complimented the questioner. Usually when people were drawing, asking him questions, they were looking to trap him in some uh, mistake in the law or the word. So it was good that he complimented the, uh, the questioner because he knew that he was truly seeking. The man asked Jesus a second question. Now this question, I think, was a little off. It would have been better if he asked, Who neighbor, whose neighbor am I? But instead he asked, who is my neighbor? During my research, I learned that it was common for Jewish people to consider anybody nearby as a neighbor. To answer the man's question, Jesus told the par parable about the Good Samaritan. The parable Jesus told about the Jewish man traveling on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. As he traveled, he was robbed and beaten. This wasn't totally uncommon on, on the road. It was actually notorious for the crime and bad things that happened along on it. The robbers not only stole my, my uh, stole from him all his possessions, but they also severely beat him and left him for dead. A priest and Levite traveled on the road, came upon, you know what they did? They went to the other side of the road to pass him up. 
That's how cold and uncaring they were. They just passed by and their side roads said, oh, I didn't see it. The priest and the Levite were both religious officials, and they both should have stopped and rendered aid, but of course they didn't. Instead, like I say, they ignored him and walked on the side of the road. He didn't exist. This parable really hit home with them because the Samaritans and the Jews, there's a big rivalry. They actually hated each other. They would go to extremes trying to avoid one another and avoid contact, all contact. Now a Samaritan was traveling down the road, came across the nearly dead Jewish victim. You know what he had? He had compassion. When his compassion overcame his religious and social prejudice, which is always good, he stopped to render the Jewish man aid. He poured oil on the, on the wounds and placed the man on his animal to bring him to safety and to help him get further treatment. This happened to be a local inn. As he was leaving, the Samaritan gave the innkeeper some money and also said, hey, I'll be back with more money. Just make sure he's okay and take good care of him. Jesus asked which of the neighbors showed the injured man he was a neighbor. The answer was obvious and came back to Jesus. The one who showed mercy on him. Jesus ended the parable with a command, go and do likewise. I picked out a quote. My last thing I'll say is, uh, it's from Spurgeon. I, I really enjoy it. It says, let it never be forgotten that what the laws demands of us, the gospel produces in us. Thank you. As you turn to the back of your bulletins, you'll notice that next week's scripture will be Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. You look at numerous commentators, and commentators will always exist. This is such a heavy, heavy, truly heavy portion of scripture that it's, it's divided in, in twos here. And we're going to be emphasizing the witness of the Spirit, um, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. Day and next week, um, according to the lectionary and 90% of the churches that deal with the lectionary, we're going to be dealing with that Luke chapter 10, 29 through 37. And we want to emphasize that if you want a bulletin, we send out many bulletins, many bulletins. And even Paul in California received the bulletin. His name was in the bulletin. And I know that people enjoy preparing for scripture. And you always get more out of the sermon if you read the scripture beforehand and in the application of that scripture. It's a biblical truth there. And then below that, you'll see always the outline. And I know a number of you that are joining us by way of television or radio, you, you enjoy those outlines and those bulletins that we send. And, and I believe a number of our worshipers on Sunday morning fill in those, those outlines so that they can kind of walk home. And if anybody asks them what they've learned, they can kind of touch. I, I normally have three points, and under those three points, I have three points, a good preacher, and homiletics, and professors. I've had a number of homiletics teachers said that, you know, the general agreement is that three points, people can only comprehend three points, and three points are those three points. So may God bless the outline and your understanding of Scripture. Um, you should notice in this passage the solemn question. There's a solemn question, and whenever you study the Bible, you, you get, always get more out of it, more out of it when you study it with, with, a, with an eye to questions and what God is really speaking, not only in time and in place, but to you. And we are told that a certain lawyer 
A certain lawyer asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You and I, that's probably the most crucial question that you can ever ask in life, is what, what can you do to inherit eternal life? And that's one of the most important questions that we should educate our children in and our grandchildren. I, I believe before my children could even walk, you know, I, I shared the plan of salvation, the ABCs of salvation that all of us, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and see we need to confess him with, with our mouths. Even to this day, as I remember the outlines that I shared with my children and I do with my grandchildren, I always answer the phone with the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the, the motive, we know that the motive of this lawyer was evidently not right. It was not right. He only asked the question to tempt. Tempt our, our Lord and, and to pro, provoke Jesus to say something on which his enemies may lay hold of Jesus. Yet the question that he propounded was undoubtedly one of the deepest and the most important questions that we should all ask of our Lord Jesus Christ and teach our family and our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors. It's a question which deserves the principal attention. You're following by the outline. The first quote was question and the second one is attention. You should give attention. And it's a question which deserves the principal attention of every man, woman, and child on earth. We are all sinners. From the pulpit to the pew, we're, we're all dying sinners. I had prepared this morning just in case I did not show up in our ultimate destination. If the Lord should tarry his coming, that we're all going to die. Dying sinners and sinners that we're going to be judged judged after death. And we need to ask our question, how shall our sin, how shall our sins be pardoned? Wherewith shall we come before God? How shall we escape, escape the damnation of hell? Whether shall we flee from this, this wrath to come? What must we do, truly do to be saved? And there are inquiries, these are inquiries which people of every rank ought to put to themselves, and, and they should never rest, never rest till they find an answer. My congregations of the military, or the thousands, and I always would close with a challenge of commitment to not only country, but a commitment to Christ. It's a question which unhappily, unhappily few care to consider. Consider is a third word. Consider. Thousands are, are constantly inquiring, what shall we eat? Some of you are probably considering, if you're like me, and you, you avoid breakfast and you sometimes avoid dinner and you try to consume only one meal a day. And by the end of the day, if you have, haven't eaten at all, you ask that question, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed. How can we get money? How can we enjoy ourselves? Temporal questions. 
many other temporal questions. How, how can we really prosper in the world? And you can add to this list your own questions. But few, very few, will ever give a moment's thought to the salvation of their souls and the salvation of their children's souls and their, their grandchildren. If it comes down to it, they, they hate that subject. It, it almost makes them uncomfortable to, to talk about a, a salvation experience for Christ. They, they turn from it and they put it away. And faithful and true is that saying of our Lord's in Matthew, the seventh chapter, the 13th verse. And it's not a passage of scripture that people readily memorize, but it's one that needs to be before our eyes, that wide is the gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in their app. So we find narrow is the pathway to salvation, wide is the gateway to hell and destruction, and let us not be ashamed. Ashamed is the next word. Ashamed of putting the lawyer's questions, the lawyer's questions to our own souls. And it's, and it's to this that this scripture is written. And lest we leave this passage of scripture, it's just packed. It's one of the meatiest portion, a few verses here in, in the entire Bible. Because it's a question of our soul relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a question to our souls. Let us rather ponder it. Let us think about it and never be content till it fills the first place in our minds and in our consideration of our eternal relationship with Christ and our children and our grandchildren, our loved ones. Let us seek to have the witness of the Spirit. Witness of the Spirit. This is the ultimate of ultimates that God witnesses to our spirit that we're in right relationship with him, with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we need to seek that witness of the Spirit is the next one that you want to emphasize. The witness of God's Spirit, if the witness of the Spirit is residing in this temple, that we are a true child of God. Let us seek to have that witness of the Spirit within us that we repent and that we have repented and we continue to repent so that we make not Jesus' blood cheap or or God's grace cheap, but being true to Christ and that we are really, that we are really and truly and deeply walking with God. And this is a character of the heirs. This is a characteristic, one of the eternal characteristics of the heirs of, of eternal life. They have that witness of the Spirit. They're not a hope-so Christian. They're not a think-so Christian. They're a no-so Christian. And these are they who shall one day receive the kingdom prepared. The next fill-in is prepared. Prepared for the children of God. We should notice, secondly, in this passage, the, the high honor, the high honor which our Lord Jesus Christ places on the Bible. I, on my Sundays off, which are very infrequent, I try to tie into two or three church services, and normally when I go deer hunting, I'll tie into Catholic churches or any churches that meet in the evenings, and I'll I'll try to get the witness of the Spirit on the emphasis that these churches have. Because the high honor which our Lord Jesus Christ places on the Bible, what do this, what does that body place as an emphasis on the Bible? Jesus here refers the lawyer at once. At once Jesus refers 
this order to the scriptures, the scriptures as the only true rule of faith and, and the only true practice, Jesus refers, Jesus does not reply to the lawyer's question by saying, what does the church, what does the Jewish church say about eternal life? Or what do the scribes and what do the Pharisees and the priests think about eternal life? Or what is taught on the subject in the tradition of the elders of the faith? Jesus takes a, a far simpler and, and, and more direct course. And Jesus sends his question at once to the writings of the Old Testament. What is written, he says, what is written in the law in how you readest thou? Now let this principle contained in these words be one of the foundations and the principles of our relationship with Christ and our, our Christianity. But you and I are not called to be religious beings, but we're called to be in relationship to Christ, close relationship with Christ. And let the Bible, let the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible be the rule of our faith and our practice. It's the B-I-B-L-E, B-I-B-L-E. That's what we stand on. The road may sometimes seem narrow and our faith may be sorely tried, but we shall not be allowed greatly to err if we're on the Bible path. I spoke yesterday to probably two, three hundred people and it was a memorial service of a good friend of mine, or it was his father. His father graduated with my mother back in 1947. And, and the testimonies of people that testified to Laverne Kreider sharing that how he had led people to Christ as a lay person, as a farmer, and how he emphasized his neighborhood for Christ and encouraged his neighbors to go to church, and, and how many people testified to the fact of a lay person bringing people to church, making it almost impossible not for people to come to church. He made it irresistible you know, to, to come and to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And he felt himself being more effective than, than many clergy, and I can say that, you know, without response, that as a lay person, he was more effective for Christ than many clergy. What is written in the law? How readest thou? And let this principle contained in these words be one of the foundation principles of our Christianity. Let the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible, be the rule of our faith and be the rule of our practice. And the road may sometimes seem narrow and our faith may be sorely tried, but we shall not be allowed greatly to err if we're on the biblical path. And departing from this principle, we, we enter onto a, a pathless, sometimes wilderness. Forever let us bear this in mind, here let us cast our anchor. Very few people have really cast their anchor. They're still floating around and trying to be deceived by the errors of the world and the loss of sense of any anchoring to the Bible. But let us hear, and let us hear abide. It matters nothing who says a, thing, a certain thing in religion, whether an ancient father or theology, an ancient father of the biblical interpretation, or, or may it be a, a modern bishop or a modern district superintendent, and bishops used to listen to me, and district superintendents used to listen to me, and we'd bump in and they'd say, you know, you convicted us, and you made us feel kind of 
uncomfortable. And I, I said, well, I'm always trying to comfort the uncomfort and afflict those who are comfortable to afflict the uncomfortable. We need to speak. Our testimony needs to be one of great conviction. Is it in the Bible? Can it be proved by the Bible? If not, it's not to be believed. It matters nothing how beautiful and creative and clever our sermons or our religious books may appear. If they are not of the, of the Bible and not as a means of elevating Christ, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are rubbish. They're poison. They're, they're guides of no value. We should always ask the question, what saith the scripture? What saith the scripture? Here is the only rule and here is the only measure. Here is the only gauge of religious faith. To the law and to the testimony, says Isaiah, if they speak not according to this word, the word of God, if it's undocumentable in the, the scriptures, we need to be weary and leery, says Isaiah. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, according to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 20. And we should notice lastly, we should notice, notice lastly in these passages the clever, the very clever and clear knowledge of duty to God. Duty to who? Duty to God and man, which the Jews in our Lord's time possessed. We read that the lawyer said in reply to our Lord's question, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. For a number of years in seminary, my roommate before marriage was an attorney, and Bill would always tell me about, and we'd have arguments about scripture. And when it came down to the word of God, he said, you have a mastery of the word of God. And he would often, I would say to him, you have a true mastery of the law. Being a, a lawyer of the third generation, his grandfather and his father and himself, and then entered into the ministry. Bible talks about that was well spoken and clearer description of of daily practical duty could not be given by the most thoroughly instructed Christian in the present day. Let not this be forgotten. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. And the words of the lawyer are very instructive in, in two points of view. They throw a, a strong light on two subjects about which many, many mistakes abound. For one thing, they show us how great were the privileges, the privileges of religious knowledge with the, which the Jews enjoyed under the Old Testament. They had many privileges compared to the heathen world, a nation which possessed, possessed such principles of duty as those now before us, and, and the duties and the privileges that this young nation that we serve, the United States of America, which is really a child and comparison to the years of the Roman reign and the Greece reign and the Persian reign and many of the empires that were before us. But this Jewish nation, a nation which possessed such principles of duty as those now before us, was immeasurably in advance of, of Greece and, and Rome. And for another thing, the lawyer's words 
show us how much clear head knowledge, head knowledge in a person, and no matter how much head knowledge one may possess, while one's heart is full of wickedness. Here is a person who talks, who talks about loving God with all his soul and loving his neighbor as himself, while he is what? He's actually tempting Christ. Tempting Christ and trying to do him harm and anxious to justify himself and make himself out a cheerable man. Let us ever beware of this kind of religion. Clear knowledge, clear knowledge of the head when accompanied by determined impetuousness of heart is the most dangerous state, dangerous state of soul. John chapter 13, verse 7 reminds us that if you know these things, says Jesus, happy are you if you do them. Let us not forget in leaving this passage to apply this high standard of duty which, is, which it contains to our own hearts and to prove our own selves. Selves, yes, yourself, myself. Do we love God with all our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Where is the person, where is the person that could say with a perfect truth, I do? Where is the person that ought not to lay his, his hand on his mouth when he hears these questions? Verily, we're all guilty in this, this matter. The best of us, however holy we may be, come far short of perfection. Passages like this should teach our, our need of Christ's blood and righteousness and grace each and every day. And to Jesus we must go. If we would ever stand with boldness, boldness at the bar of God, from Jesus, we must seek grace from Jesus that the love of God and the love of man and humanity become ruling principles of our lives. In Jesus we must abide that we may not forget our principles and that we may show the world by that them we desire to live. At this point, we're going to close and if we have any other particular numbers, you can come and prepare. But as the ushers uh, wait upon you this morning for your tithes and your offerings, let us turn to our offertory prayer that's printed in our bulletins. And as they take up this morning's offering, I believe we've probably run out of time. So let us turn to the offertory prayer as the ushers come and wait upon you for this morning's offering. Holy God, source of all good things, we ask that the gifts we offer to you this day would be dedicated to bringing your kingdom of love, justice, and compassion into being in our midst. We acknowledge that when this service is over, it will be tempting to put our blinders back on, keep our focus on what's right in front of us, and not see that which is all around us. Help us to see both the beauty of your caring and the ugliness of our indifference. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Any other announcements or, or questions as we close? Father, with this morning, we want to thank you for the privilege of having another congregation meet here. The gathering, we just pray that you be with the pastor and staff as we welcome them. And we pray your blessings upon them as we pray our blessings upon Jehop and others that share this church. It is your church, O oh Lord. Help us to be good stewards of the time, good stewards of the facilities. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.